Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Welcome back. We are back in Los Angeles. Well, I'm back in Los Angeles. Uh, our quote of the day, the 18 to 40 to 60 rule. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> At 18, you can care At 18, you care what everyone thinks. At 40, you don't care what anyone thinks. I don't really think I'm there yet. Shit. (laughs) 41, and I still kind of care. Kind of. It's not all out of me yet. It's not a lot, though, Maria. Yeah, it's not that bad. Okay. And at 60, you realize no one ever cared about what you thought. (laughs) They were busy worrying about themselves. Dr. Daniel Amen, who happens to be our guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. So the Washington Post called Dr. Daniel Amen the most popular psychiatrist in America, and Discover Magazine listed his brain imaging research as the top neuroscience story for 2015. He's double board certified psychiatrist, um, 10-time, 10-time New York Times bestselling author with blockbuster books like Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Healing ADD, Memory Rescue, and so many more. In March 2020, his book, The End of Mental Illness, which we're talking about today, will be published, and we're going to be talking with him today, of course, about that. So many of us are dealing with or know someone with mental illness, but what if the way we are being diagnosed is all wrong? Dr. Amen is changing the way we are diagnosed, and most importantly, the way we can heal. So without further ado, let's chat with Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amon, thank you so much for being on the show again. Hi, Maria. What a joy to see you. Thank you. You're in Costa Mesa? I am at our biggest clinic uh, where we get to do all the fun things we do. So what is the difference between Costa Mesa's clinic and all the other ones that you have? Well, it's about four times the size and... Uh, but all the clinics do all the things we do from the imaging work to things like hyperbaric oxygen and Mm -hmm. helping people have (laughs) brains and better lives. I love it. You know, this book isn't coming out um, for a few months, but we got our hands on the 
you know, the advanced copy. And I really think you're going to make major changes in this arena, which is obviously the goal of this book, because you want to reframe the discussion. You want to reframe um, how people discuss mental illness. And you hate the word, in fact, mental illness and psychiatric disorders. So ever since I have been a psychiatrist. So I decided 40 years ago to be a psychiatrist after someone I love tried to kill herself. And I um, brought her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, it wouldn't just help her. It would help her family. It would help her children, even her grandchildren, as they would be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable. But I hated the term mental illness because what we deal with are brain illnesses. And if you don't separate those two things, people think, well, it's your fault. Um, you can snap out of it. But nobody thinks that of heart disease or mm -hmm. of cancer or of diabetes. And when I started looking at the brain in the late 80s, I'm like, these are brain issues. They are brain issues that steal your mind. And psychiatry hasn't decreased stigma one bit since the late 1970s when I decided to be a psychiatrist. And it's time we do that, and we do it by changing the discussion. Plus, it's more accurate. And not only does it decrease stigma, people see their problems as medical and not moral. Mm -hmm. So it decreases shame and guilt. It increases compliance. And the thing I love the most, it is increases forgiveness and compassion from their families. If we can see these as medical and not a choice on your part. And so often, and I went to a Christian medical school, I went to Oral Roberts University. And Many people there, it's like, well, you're depressed because you have sin in your life or you're depressed because you made bad decisions. And when I started looking at the brain, I went, no, you're depressed because you had a brain injury or you're depressed because you have Lyme disease or you're depressed because you work in a toxic factory. Um, that it's just so much more complicated than people think. And so the end of mental illness is really about changing the paradigm. And, and what I've also seen is if you have better brain habits, you feel better, you focus better, your anxieties less. And so the end of mental illness really is going to begin with a revolution in brain health. I love that. I love medical, not moral, because it's so easy in our culture to disregard people and say, oh, they're just crazy. They're never going to get better. And when you think about it as brain health, now you think there could be a solution, right? There's, there's solutions for diabetes and um, heart problems and thyroid issues. And so when you think about it like that, there's hope. But when you think about it as a mental illness, the stigmas that are around that um, make it seem so hopeless and and that they're lesser or they shouldn't be a part of our society. I mean, it's it's really sad. It's it's really sad. 
what happens. I'm doing a program with the Newport Beach Police Department for six months. I'm creating a brain-healthy police department. And what we know about police officers is they have double the risk of suicide as the general population. I mean, that really should just horrify us all. And they're in a chronically stressful job. But to raise their hand and go, help me, I'm anxious, or help me, I'm sad, or help me, I'm not sleeping, or help me, my marriage is crumbling, they often believe they're the helpers and that they should not need help. And that's just not a helpful mindset. And what I tell them, I'm like, look, if you're a business person and your business was having trouble, and you denied it was having trouble, your business is likely to become bankrupt. And if you deny you have problems, you know, you may end up with an addiction, lose your job, lose your marriage. So getting people to say, oh, I want a better brain is so much more palatable than saying my mind is broken. Help me. Yeah. <clears throat> also with the police officers, they're in fight or flight constantly. So I'm sure that has a huge impact on the brain, right? No question that it actually re um, it remodels their brain to make it always looking for trouble. Now, at some point, they need to be looking for trouble. So when mm -hmm. they're on duty, they need to be hypervigilant. <laughs> They need to be aware, but they don't need that when they go home and they're dealing with their teenage child. Um, and so I talk to them about how to shift from this state to that. So being hypervigilant when you need it and then being able to shift away from it when you don't. I remember when you scanned my brain, that was one of the things that popped up for me because I'm always, I've always been in fight or flight. So that's why I knew that about them. Um, you dedicated this, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, to your nieces, right? I did. Uh, she spent the night with me last night. Alizé, who's 14 and uh, almost 15, and Amelie, who's 10, they are loaded for mental illness. They have a family history of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, addictions, depression. Um, and But, you know, I always say genes only load the gun. It's your behavior, what happens to you, that pulls the trigger. And unfortunately for them, they were also raised in chaos uh, with parents who suffered with addictions, domestic violence, depression. And then about four years ago, they were taken by Child Protective Services into foster care. And at the time, I, I had actually not seen them since they were very little because um, their mother and my wife were estranged from each other because of their mom's drug abuse. Uh, but when I heard they were in foster care, it was actually the worst week of my marriage because I'm like, well, we have to go get them. That's not okay. <laughs> and my wife, it's like, you're going to invite crazy into your life. Well, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I've been dealing with crazy for a very long time. And 
Um, but what we decided to do um, was wrap services around her mother, um, really help her beat her addiction. And then on Mother's Day 2017, she got the kids back, and then I adopted all three of them. And, and the end of mental illness is how do we eliminate mental illness in these girls and in their babies and grandbabies? And uh, this, you know, I've written 40 books. This one is my favorite because it's just right in the center of my purpose. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, For a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus, having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully, our jobs and everything in between. But it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. 
As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. I think um, one of the things that I loved about that story was that it seemed like such a quick turnaround. You know, someone who's got that many issues that they're dealing with. And within, what, two years, they were able to get their kids back. And then the kids fared really well. They're A students and, and doing so well. What, what were the things that you did for all three of them to get them better? So, you know, I talk about it in the book. You know, I think of people always in four big circles uh, that – there, we all have a biology. So what's going on in their brain? You know, so for example, the mom had ADD. She also had, that was never treated. She also had a very interesting visual processing disorder called the Erlen syndrome, I-R-L-E-N. Oh, Anyone the eyes. Has, any, yes, anyone who has um, headaches, or can't concentrate, Um, they're irritable, they're light sensitive, Um, they should be screened for this thing called Erlen. Um, And she'd been in 19 car accidents. So you know she was dealing with traumatic brain injury, but it's like, why are you in 19 car accidents? And it was because of the visual processing problem. So getting the mom right and into a 12-step program, which has been very helpful for her, and then when I scanned the kids, um, it, it was actually a surprise. The, the older one, Alizé, is very bright, but she was really struggling with focus in, in school. And she had a terribly low blood flow scan. I'm like, why does her brain look so bad? And I put her in a hyperbaric chamber and gave her some supplements uh, to really boost blood flow to her brain. And she was her eighth grade graduation speaker. I mean, I like cried the whole time. Um, And the little one had a brain that was working way too hard, that being taken by Child Protective Service and being raised in a home of substance abusers, which is very common. 60 million people in America grew up in either alcoholic or drug-affected homes, and it traumatizes (coughs) you. Um, Her brain was, her emotional brain was just on fire. And so balancing their brains and then teaching them So that's the biological circle. The psychological circle is teaching you not to believe every stupid thing you think. And so I call it killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your mind. Um, 
And so working on those helped. Um, I actually have a children's book called Captain Snout and the Superpower Questions, and I had fun reading it to them. Then there's a social circle, which is making sure they have a roof over their head, making sure that we have more effective parenting techniques than yelling um, or screaming. Um, so getting the social environment right, making sure they're in schools that um, serve their needs. And then there's a spiritual circle, which not very many psychiatrists talk about, but I'm absolutely convinced we all have souls. We all have a spiritual part to us. And so what is your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Why are you on the planet? And working with them, taking them to church with us, having them know that the trauma is just its not just about them, uh, that we can take the trauma. And I talk in the book about something called post-traumatic growth. Only about 10% of people who go through a trauma develop PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but about another 10%, they actually take that trauma and become better, that they actually realize that if they can survive that, they can survive other things as well, that they can see new possibilities. Um, and so working at it biologically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually, that's really how we end mental illness. And the problem is today, um, people are getting psychiatric drugs and seven-minute office visits going, you have a chemical imbalance, take this, and completely ignoring three of the four circles that cause mental health challenges. Well, I want to talk about that. <clears throat> if I can speak, damn. Um, I want to talk about that because you have said that medication can be insidious. And of course, in, in a way where it's addictive, right? You bet. And it can also change your brain to need them in order to feel normal. So when is medication good? And when is medication not so good? And how does the everyday person identify that for their family member or for themselves? Because there aren't a million Dr. Amons, right? There's only one Dr. Amon. If they can't get to you, how do they figure this out with the population of doctors that exist that maybe aren't caught up? Well, and that's the reason I write. I mean, besides I love writing, I write so that I can take what I've learned and give it away. And so so let's start with I am not opposed to psychiatric medication. Um, I absolutely think they have a place, but it should never, never be the first and only thing you do. And that's basically what's happening. 85% of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians or nurse practitioners or physician assistants in seven-minute office visits. And when you start something, most people don't know that many of them are very hard to stop and that they change your brain. Um, that's what I meant by being insidious. They change your brain to need them in order for you to feel normal. So in the end of mental illness, 
I actually talk about, well, what are the things you should do before you go on an antidepressant? Um, head to head against antidepressants, exercise has been shown to be equally effective. So walk like you're late 45 minutes, four times a week. It's the first thing. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Walk like you're late. <laughs> Head-to-head -head against antidepressants, omega-3 fatty acids have been found to be equally effective. Take three grams of omega-3 fatty acids a day. Head-to-head um, -head against antidepressants, learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think. Um, we call it killing the ants. Has Will you explain that? Effective. Will you so explain ants killing ants? For automatic negative thoughts, the thoughts that come into your mind automatically and ruin your day. In second grade, they should have taught you that whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking and then ask yourself if it's true. Can you absolutely know if it's true? And I have eight different kinds of ants, like just the bad ants, where you're only focusing on what's wrong rather than seeing the big picture of the things that are wrong, but also the things that are right. Or fortune-telling ants, where you're predicting things are going to turn out badly. Or labeling ants, where you label yourself or someone else with a negative term. He's a jerk. She's cold. You know, whatever it is. Because whenever you label somebody... You lump them with all the people that were jerks, and you can't deal with them anymore. And so labeling is very destructive. And, and I've just found, and other researchers have found, that when we teach you how to manage your mind, how to discipline your mind, you're way less depressed. And so one of the first techniques I give my patients is I want a hundred of your worst thoughts. And then I'll teach you how to get rid of them. And when you shine a light on the ants, you know, they scatter. And the problem with ants is they infest things and they link. So one ant, um, I can't speak in public, it's a very common ant, um, will link to, I won't get the job, which that ant will then link to, I won't be able to pay my rent, which then links to, I'm going to be homeless, which then links to, my wife's going to divorce me. And all of a sudden, just because you're anxious about a presentation, you see yourself homeless and divorced. And learning how to break up those ants is a skill I believe we should teach all children because it'll help decrease um, depression. And so before the antidepressant, exercise, omega-3 fatty acids, learning how to discipline your mind, and then, if, and then we need to make sure your thyroid's okay. Um, we need to make sure you don't have inflammation in your body, which is a very common cause of depression and dementia. Um, so looking at things like your C-reactive protein, a measure of inflammation, or your omega-3 index, it's just really important. And the heart, if you will, of the end of mental illness is if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And that's where I think is causing the epidemic rise in mental health issues. So the timing of this interview is great because last week we were talking about 
your gut microbiome and how it affects everything in the vagus nerve that takes it up to the brain and how brain and depression and all of these illnesses, even Alzheimer's, are really connected to the gut. Um, I want you to explain to people from your perspective how important diet is for brain health. So there's this fascinating study from Australia where researchers looked at two outer islands. One had fast food restaurants, the other one didn't. They measured their omega-3 index, so omega-3s compared to omega-6s in your body. The island without fast food restaurants had significantly higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids in their bloodstream and five times less the level of depression. So the island with fast food restaurants, um, low omega-3s, five times the incidence of depression. It's the food. Food is so important. And one of my favorite writing devices in the end of mental illness, there's a whole section um, called If I Was an Evil Ruler. And I wanted to create <laughs> mental illness in America. Um, so this is like the evil side of me. How would I do that? And I would create the food system we have here in the United States where we have many food deserts where a lot of children, they actually don't know what vegetables are. I mean, it's truly horrifying that fast food has really um, overrun us. And I think that's part of the epidemic rise of mental health problems. I published two studies on weight um, that showed as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down, which should scare the fat off anyone. But now 40% of America is obese. I mean, when you and I were growing up, that, that wasn't even a discussion. And now it's of epidemic proportions because when we took fat out of food, when fat became the enemy, it was replaced by sugar. And uh, the incidence of obesity is just insane. I'm so proud of you, though, for doing the microbiome uh, podcast. That's so smart because you have these hundred trillion bugs in your gut and you have to think of them as your friends. You need mm -hmm. to feed them and love them and nurture them because when they're unhappy, you're unhappy. They make neurotransmitters like serotonin. They detoxify you. They help you with digestion. Um, they're just absolutely critical to brain health. And when your gut's not right, you have a higher level of inflammation. So I talk about that in the inflammation chapter. And it's just something that so many people are suffering from and they have no idea and people don't know that gluten you know in gluten there's all this controversy should i have gluten should i not have gluten well it causes leaky gut in 100 percent of people who eat it so is that really in your best interest yeah and it leads to so many diseases that's the thing is gut health is your overall health for everything um and and it's interesting because <clears throat> Just like the ants link up, all these poor choices link up. And so your diet, poor choices in diet, you can confirm this obviously, 
But wouldn't your poor choices in diet also lead you to poor sleep? Poor sleep will then lead you to um, uh, poor performance. Your brain, you will be more depressed because you've now eaten shit and you're not sleeping. Um, That whole cycle is really bad too. I love that. Uh, It's absolutely true. So the mnemonic in the book is bright minds. Those are the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind and S is sleep. Because when you don't sleep or you eat poorly, it drops blood flow to your brain, especially the front part of your brain. So the front part of your brain is really important. It's the most human thoughtful part of your brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex, largest in humans than any other animal, like by far, it's 30% of the human brain, 11% of the chimpanzee brain. So it's really what separates us from all other animals. And it's involved in things like focus, forethought, judgment, impulse control, organization, planning, empathy. Um, It watches you. It's like the voice in your head that says, don't do that. Don't say that. And when you don't sleep or you've eaten bad food, blood flow to that part of the brain drops, and then you start making bad decisions. And our success in life, either with our relationships or our money or our health, is, you know, just as you said, it's a sum of all the decisions that we make. And so if we're not loving our brain, nurturing our brain, sleeping for our brain, feeding our brain, um, we can go to all the Tony Robbins seminars we want. (laughs) Tony and I are friends. Um, Tony and I are friends. And I'm like, you got to get the hardware right first, and then you can program it properly. Which is funny, because if you go to one of his seminars, I'm also friends with Tony, he does an entire day on diet and food. And so he understands how important that is. But it's interesting because this summer, I actually diagnosed Kevin, my husband, with just that issue. He was not sleeping and hasn't slept really in 20 years. We allow the dogs to sleep with us. And all of our dogs aged out and passed in this last year. And they needed multiple bathroom breaks in the middle of the night, which meant he never slept. He was eating really poorly. And all of a sudden, sometime just before the summer and around the summer, he was not Kevin. He was very, very depressed, very angry, not himself. And you know, you've scanned his brain and you told him about his different brain traumas that have affected him. And I I was talking to our therapist and I said, I'm telling you, he isn't sleeping. That is the worst part of what he's dealing with right now. And then his diet. And when I made him aware of that, at first he scoffed it off. Then he thought about it and he's like, oh my God, you're right. I go, that's your problem. He's been making the adjustments again because he was on the train with you for a while <laughs> after your appointment. And um, and he has the Erlen syndrome as well, as you know. But this was a big thing for him and he's made a complete turnaround and became Kevin again by sleeping so better. Happy. We kicked the dogs out as hard as that was. We kicked the dogs out of bed. And we stopped, he stopped eating bad things at night. Um, and even during the day, he's eating better. But I can't express how much, how important that is for people. Um, and so I wonder for people who so are struggling. So we could call him depressed. Yeah. Or 
could say his brain just needed better nourishment and sleep. And the whole idea behind the end of mental illness is let's stop calling these things. Because I actually hate the term depression because depression is like chest pain. You know, people don't never get a diagnosis of chest pain. Why? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you what's causing it or what to do for it, right? You're not going to give everybody with chest pain nitroglycerin because you assume they have a blockage. No. I mean, chest pain could be from grief. It could be from an infection. It could be from a blockage. It can be from pneumonia. It could be because you have too much gas. Um, You you don't get a diagnosis of chest pain. Depression is exactly the same way. It's why. Depression does not mean you have a Prozac deficiency. And most (laughs) people don't know that virtually all psychiatric drugs, including Prozac, have black box warnings. Why? Why does the FDA think they should have black box warning? Because you give it to the wrong person, you can hurt them. And getting a good night's sleep, there's no black box warning or exercise or not believing every stupid thing you think or taking probiotics to get your gut health improved. That's or kicking the dogs out, right? Because if you're not sleeping or you're exposed constantly to the allergens from animals, it impacts your immune system, which is one of the bright mind's risk factors. And that can keep you awake, which then causes this negative chain reaction. So give him my best. I'm so happy he's doing better. I will, I will. I, I have a question, Maria. Yeah, and for For Dr. Amen, I wanted to know, how do you break the cycle? Because we talked about the ants, and now we're talking about how lack of sleep can lead to faulty brain health. But, you know, what if it's the anxiety from the ants keeping you up at night that then kind of creates this self-fulfilling prophecy of negativity? What are, like, I, I know you, you go through it a little bit in the book of how to dismantle your ants, but could you give us an example on air of, like, taking one kind of thought and how you dismantle it and break it down? Absolutely. So I um, saw someone last week who was really depressed and irritable and anxious. And the thought was that was keeping him up is that I am going to be like my father. Now, his father abandoned uh, his children and was an addict. And that thought just kept running around in his brain. And so the first thing, you know, I love going to the whiteboard in my office. And so we wrote the thought down. So whenever you are sad, whenever you're mad, whenever you're nervous or you can't sleep, write down what you're thinking and then ask yourself, what kind of ant it is, and, and I explain that in the book, but, you know, is that an all-or-nothing ant or just the bad ant or fortune-telling ant? So for him, it's a fortune-telling ant where he's predicting things are going to turn out badly, even though he doesn't have evidence for it. So I'm going to turn out like my dad. Write it down, identify it, it's fortune-telling ant. And then there are basically five super simple questions. Um, And part of these come from my friend Byron Katie and her book, Loving What Is. But uh, I'm going to 
turn out like my dad, fortune telling, is it true? That's the first question. And right away, he said, no. He said, I'm with my children. I'm with my wife. It's just a negative thought that bothers me. And I'm not a fan of positive thinking. I'm just not. Positive thinking means I can go to the restaurant for lunch, have three pieces of cheesecake, and it will not bother me, right? I'm a fan of accurate thinking. So what's the truth? The second question is, is it absolutely true? With 100% certainty, I'm going to be like my dad. And he's like, it's absolutely not true. The third question is what drives unhappiness. It drives pain. It drives suicide sometimes. The third question is, how do you feel when you believe the thought you're going to turn out like your dad? I hate myself. I feel like scum. I lost. I'm a failure. So you see the negative thoughts that are usually not true provide the fuel for anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideas. The fourth question is, how would you feel if you didn't have that thought, if you couldn't have that thought? And almost always what people tell me is, I would feel free. And then we take the original thought, um, whatever it is. In this case, you know, I'm going to be like my dad. And we turn it to the exact opposite. I'm not going to be like my dad. And then you go, well, is that true? And he had so many examples where it was true. But if you don't write the thoughts down, they link with other ants and they torture you. And there's a certain brain pattern, especially for my patients who have busy brains, is when they get a thought in their head, it's like a little mouse on an exercise wheel and the mouse can't get off. It loops. It just goes over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Fine. I get them to write out the thought and take it through that super simple process is their rational brain is beginning to take over their emotional brain. And you always want, there's always this dynamic tension between your prefrontal cortex, your thoughtful brain, so I think of it as the writer, and your emotional brain, think of that as the elephant, that left untrained, it'll cause a stampede and ruin your lives and the lives of other people. You need to discipline or train your emotional brain, and you do it by having a strong prefrontal cortex or a strong, thoughtful brain. Does that make sense? Definitely. Thank you. So I know Kevin suffers from these ants linking up, right? And he'll tell me the same thing. I just hate that this is how I think or how I feel. If he does this exercise, which he does do some of it, he always asks, is this absolutely true from what he learned from you? And that will get his rational brain actually working. But how much do you have to do that exercise before you've disciplined your mind to not go there anymore? Is is there a way to never have to go there again, like to heal yourself of those negative patterns and that negative thinking? So a hundred times. So a hundred times to start, and then you have to teach it to someone else because Mm. when you teach it, you really know it. And, you know, I dearly wish, you know, I only had to do one five mile walk and my body would just stay healthy, (laughs) but, but that's ridiculous. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And as I discipline my habits uh, for my body, I have to do the same thing for my mind. And in the book, I also talk about tiny habits. What's the smallest thing I can do today that'll make the biggest difference? And whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, write it down and then just go, is it true? And you know, if you do this 100 times, very quickly, you just go, what's the opposite of the thought that's bothering me? Like, you know, I had a thought, my wife never listens to me. And um, right now, I can go, my wife often listens to me, and then I can find 15 examples and the thought won't bother me, right? But you have to do a hundred of them. And then other tiny habits I love is the most important one is this takes three seconds. Ask yourself before you're going to go do anything, is this good for your brain or bad for it? And if you love yourself and you have proper information, you'll start making better decisions. And the decisions I make for my brain are never because I should do it. Yuck. I don't want to do that. Um, I actually grew up right near where you live and went to Our Lady of Grace uh, Catholic School. Um, and so I have a lot of should ants in my head. Shoulds don't make <laughs> Thing. I do things because I love myself. So is this good for my brain? Then I want to do it. If it's bad for my brain, I don't want to do it. And I have this cool concept in the book I love on, um, I only want to love food that loves me back. That I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship. I certainly have. And um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not. And I'm damn sure not going to do it with food. Uh, so people go, but I love wine. Doritos. <laughs> and, and it's like, but does it love you back? And if it doesn't love you back, why are you in a relationship with something that, you know, that's like a therapy moment? So good. I love how you... You explain things and your analogies because it's so true. Why would you think you could, you know, walk five miles and all of this stuff? It just makes so much sense. And I think asking yourself, is this good for my brain, um, is a really great question. Every time I want to buy chocolate or bag of Doritos, I'm going to say, is this good for my brain? <laughs> well, the bag of Doritos is actually a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, uh and, you know, food companies purposefully, they hire neuroscientists like me to get the perfect meltiness, the perfect crunchiness, the perfect saltiness, so that it will addict your pleasure center. So when I was growing up, Lay's had a commercial, Bet You Can't Eat Just One. And what they were basically saying is we have created an addictive product, so you can't just eat one. And that's the evil, it's an evil ruler strategy to make us fat, depressed, and feeble-minded. My jaw is agape. That is horrible. I mean, I guess I kind of knew that, but then just hearing it from you, um, yeah, that is just creepy. Well, Dr. Eamon, I am so grateful for your time um, between my voice and our time constraints today. I have to I have to leave it there, but I will say I end my show every day with make good choices for a reason. And hopefully this interview will help people make better choices for their brain health and, um, and change that conversation. 
And before I let you go, I have one last question. Um, what are you doing in your daily life to get better? So I start every day with today is going to be a great day. And it feeds my mind to look for what's right rather than what's wrong. And I end every day with what went well today. And I love that exercise so much because, you know, my life probably like yours is just so busy that you go from this to that. And it just causes me to reflect on what I loved about the day, which actually sets my dreams up to be more positive because I'm feeding my brain things I love and things that make me happy. And with better sleep, then it's easier when you wake up to go, today is going to be a great day. I love it. Thank you so much, as always. And um, because of you, I'm dancing again. I have to say I'm so happy. I love, love, love it. Um, and so when we scan my brain next time, I expect to see major improvements. Well, such a joy to see you again. Um, thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everybody, wherever you are. Scam has something to say. I just want to say if you want to get the book, The End of Mental oh, Illness. Oh, shoot. I forgot the, the promo. <laughs> Damn. Yes, actually. Okay, so if you want to get the book, you can pre-order it. Right, Scam? Yes, on Amazon. On Amazon. The End of Mental Illness by Dr. Daniel Amen. You can also visit Dr. Amen's clinics at www.amenclinics.com. We've been there. It's amazing. They scan your brain. They tell you what you need to do. Um, and it's it's amazing. So you just go to amenclinics.com. And of course, this book um, is going to teach you so much. It, in the meantime, follow us at Maria Menunos at doc underscore amen. And remember, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.